great to uh, see you all. I think last time uh, I came to you guys was about two or three churches back, church buildings at least. So it's great to uh, be here. What a wonderful place uh, to be and great to see so many uh, faces that I don't recognize as well. Thanks for uh, having me. Uh, the question that we're briefly going to ask at the start today is when is church at its very best? When is church at its very best? Uh, I wonder how you'd answer that. Uh, maybe it's at its best when you're listening to uh, a great Bible talk from one of your pastors here. Uh, maybe it's when you're putting on events in your local community, when you're out on mission together perhaps. It could be the intimacy of a prayer meeting or when you're singing your hearts out as we were earlier on. Maybe it's when you're welcoming newcomers, but when is church at its very best? When does it feel as it should do? When does it do what it should do? When is it best? Well, I think Psalm uh, 133, where we're going to be spending pretty much 99% of our time, uh, tells us uh, the answer today. Uh, see verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. That's what I believe God wants us to hear today. The church is at its best when it is united. So the question that I want us to start with together, just briefly to discuss so we know we're on the same page, is what is unity? What is unity? When you hear the word unity, what do you think of? What is it and what does it look like? So just have a, a chat very briefly with the people around you, a couple of minutes. What is unity? What does it look like? Just so I know that we're all on the same page in what we're talking about for the next half an hour or so. Go for it. Have a chat. Okay, right then I'm going uh, to stop your conversations there. Um, anybody just like to throw out an idea? Any ideas? The first question in particular, what's unity? What's unity? All is one. All is one. Brilliant. All is one. Hundreds, tens, units. Okay, we, uh, units means one. Something is unique. There's only one of them. So it's being one, specifically. Absolutely. But what does it look like? What does unity look like then, being as one? What does that actually look like, do you think? That's the harder question. You did well to come in with the answer on that first one, because everybody else is thinking, oh, I wish I'd answered that first one. <laughs> what does it look like? Peace. Roman soldiers is a tortoise. Okay, so where they're, they're all one together, they're huddled together, they've got their shields up. It looks like peace. Love. Love. Harmony. Sorry? Moving towards the same goal. Absolutely. The best example of unity is God himself. Three in one. So the, uh, in the Old Testament, so the Jewish believers would have recited Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And God, who is three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is one. One in purpose. One in working together. One in will. One in love. That's what unity looks like, doesn't it? We're going to come back to uh, that in a bit. But we've just got back from holiday with our two kids. And I suspect we're not the only ones here to have this experience. 
And um, it's basically, when you spend two, well, two weeks under canvas in a tent, your kids start to argue just a little bit, like they bicker. Uh, when I say it's just a little bit, I, I mean a lot. Um, you get the b in the back of your car, uh, and the moment that they get in the back of the car, suddenly there's accusations. He did this, she did that, the counter accusations come back. And you get to the point where you have to work out how to keep them apart so that they don't actually argue and bicker with one another. Uh, crazily enough, even as I wrote that paragraph, they were in the garden playing together, which involved fighting. So, um, so there you go. But one of the most encouraging moments of this last week was when I was chatting to another father. And he said that his kids were exactly the same. Because I thought that we were the only ones that had kids like that who fought. Uh, but in and amongst the arguing and the tears, the bad losing, the ungracious winning, the lies, there were some really precious moments. Uh, there, were, there was a wonderful moment where um, I woke to hear them kind of side by side in their own little beds, reading. And the, my daughter was reading uh, to my son. Or when they were in fits of giggles uh, over some little joke that they'd had together. Or, or when we would just be together as a family, loving spending time together. Those were the precious moments. But they certainly weren't all the time. Uh, maybe you know from your own experience just how difficult families can be. Um, most families uh, do have struggles. Uh, many are ripped apart for all sorts of reasons. Divorce, abuse, illness, addiction, stress, failure, adultery, greed, pride, comparison, the things go on. And thankfully, as you look through the Bible, you discover that actually a lot of the families in the Bible are exactly the same. They struggle. Think about Cain and Abel right at the beginning, a murder. Then you've got Jacob and Esau, one brother deceiving uh, the parents, the story of Joseph sold into slavery, and even David himself, who wrote this psalm, his family was a war zone. So even if your own family is torn apart by bitterness or bickering, by divorce or distance, the Bible knows, the writer of this psalm knows, and he draws our attention to something which is good, something sweet, when brothers, when God's people live together in unity. Now, when David wrote this, he probably would have been thinking specifically about families. The, the word is brothers. And he picks up on a phrase in Deuteronomy earlier on, which was specifically about brothers living together in unity. It was legislation for uh, how the, the families in the God's people were supposed to act towards one another. But as we know, this psalm is placed in the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, and so the picture which I'm sure you're familiar with now is that it was a picture of God's people all walking towards Jerusalem, congregating there to celebrate their rescue in the past at different festivals that marked their national history. And as they went, they sang these songs. Uh, they'd been traveling for days in the hot, dusty environment. They, they were gradually been joined by others and tired from the journey, probably sleep deprived. They, they'd be getting more and more crowded. It, it's a bit, the picture that I've kind of got of this is, is you know if you go to a big concert or sporting event or something like that you, you get all these different people that seem to congregate together they all come from all over the place and then you get to the ground and it's like one mass of people and they're all moving there and they they might even start singing the songs uh, of their team 
united in one voice. That's the picture that's going on here. Uh, And so the song that was about unity in the family is taken then to speak of a whole nation, a nation of God's people, God's family, brothers and sisters. And the language of the New Testament picks up and applies this to the church. Psalm 133 is a song for the church. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live in unity. How good and pleasant it is when the church lives, breathes and acts together. That's why unity is such a big theme of the, Old, of the New Testament. Uh, so we may long for that kind of unity spoken in the psalm because all we know is brokenness. I understand that. Well, let's see what this unity is like and let's see where to find it. Have a look at verse one specifically. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Those two words, good and pleasant, just very briefly, good. Right at the beginning, when God looked at the world that he'd made, he said, it's good. Why? Because it's how he wanted it to be. A reflection of himself. God himself is good. As we said before, he is the one who is one and yet three Trinity, triunity, the epitome of unity. So when the psalm tells us that the unity of brothers is good, it's saying something objective about it. It's saying it is good. It is right. Unity is a reflection of God. It's how things are meant to be. It's good, objectively. But it's not just objectively good. It's also pleasant. You see that? It's pleasant or sweet, that's the experience of something. It's when you, when you actually live it out. It's when you ha- have it in your own life. It's like a, a smell, fragrant smell of, uh, of mum's cooking or flowers, of, of bread in the supermarket. It's like listening to the most fabulous piece of music played by the finest of musicians. It's just so sweet and so beautiful. You want to soak it up and enjoy it. That's the second element of unity. It's so sweet for our souls that we take in those moments of unity and we can say this feels right. When we are loved and when we love in return, where there's peace and where there's harmony. This echoes our hearts, doesn't it? Isn't this what we all want? It's what we all want in life. Everyone actually is striving for this. The United Nations the United Kingdom, Rotherham United. In all of our families, at all different scales, we all want to enjoy peace and harmony. So what is that peace and harmony like? Well, the next two pictures that the psalm employs show us the pictures of unity. Now, Ben suggested earlier on that a picture of unity was uh, Roman soldiers um, but, uh, but David doesn't pick up on those. He picks up on two kind of weird examples, which uh, when I looked at them at the start, I thought, how am I going to preach this? How am I going to preach this? We've got oil running down on the beard of Aaron, and we've got dew on Mount Hermon. Now, you know there are certain times in the church calendar where you get visiting speakers to come in and preach. Now, I reckon, I reckon that that the guys sat here and thought, do you know what? Let's do the Psalm of Ascent and let's let somebody else preach them for us. Because uh, I really did worry about this. 
But actually what I've discovered is that what seems strange in the first instance tells us precious truths. So let's look at the beard first and see how special unity is. Follow it through with me. It, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Now, that oil could uh, sort of, it could be lots of things. It could just be a sign of prosperity. But the mention of Aaron there takes us back to Exodus chapter 30, because Moses, believe it or not, was instructed to make some special oil for Aaron. It's coming up on there. There's lots of words there. Uh, so what I've done is I've taken it down and I've put some in purple. Okay, the words which you now can't read. <laughs> Let me tell you what it says. Let me tell you what it says. Um, it says, um, the, the Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant cane, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel and a hin of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. You see that word sacred there, it comes up twice and it's there in purple or the word holy or the word consecrated. They're all words which are to do with being set apart or holy. And you see how frequently it comes up in that passage. This oil is an oil which is special. It is sacred. It is holy. Uh, and so what David is telling us here is that unity is like something special set apart in a way to honor the Lord. Uh, Aaron was given the job as the high priest. It was his role to lead the worship of the people before God, to make sacrifices on behalf of the people. And so this is a part of worship language. You see, friends, we, we shouldn't underplay just how special unity in the church really is because it's sacred and holy to the Lord. Just as the high priest was set apart to serve the Lord and the oil was a sign of that. So the unity of the church is a sign of being set apart for the worship of the Lord. But there's another repeated idea that goes on there as well, isn't there? Precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard. I, bring, I guess it brings a new idea to the kind of hipster idea of beard oil doesn't it <laughs> Luke like that there we go <laughs> do you use it Luke do you there we go <laughs> there we go there we go um so it runs down onto the beard and not just onto the beard but onto the collar it is messy there is so much of it that it doesn't stop not just a few drops but there's so much unity feels good because it's an abundance of blessing of precious oil that keeps on flowing. Unity is special. It helps us. It's part of our worship. But the second image, the Jew on Mount Hermon. Now here, geography is helpful. I used to be a geography teacher, and uh, most of what I learned was from Wikipedia. Um, and, uh, and that's quite small, but in the top left-hand corner, you've got a picture of Mount Hermon. Uh, and on the right-hand side, you've got a picture of Mount Zion. Now, Mount Hermon, you can't read it there, but it is very tall. It's about 9,232 feet high. Uh, it is covered in snow. It had moisture all year round. 
It was in the north of Israel in Bible times. Uh, you can't really see that either. Um, but it was over 100 miles away uh, from Mount Zion. But Mount Zion, well, that was a lot shorter and it was dry and dusty. It lacked the moisture that Hermon had. And because it lacked the moisture, it lacked life. Now, sadly, that picture on the right-hand side actually shows lots of trees. Uh, so it kind of defeated the point that I was trying to make. But that's because of modern irrigation. Uh, basically, on the one hand, you've got Mount Hermon, a very, very tall mountain that had moisture all year round, that had life, that had an abundance of it, plants that the animals could eat. On the other hand, you've got miles away, Mount Zion, which was dry and dusty, which was barren, which had no life. You see, our psalm is telling us that unity is as if the dew of Hermon, where there was life, fell on the mountains of Zion, where there was dust. And that moisture falling on the dusty mountains brought, as you see, verse 3, life. Unity is like life-giving dew in a dusty, dead place. Uh, I wonder, this might be taking the analogy a bit far, but one of the wonderful things I think about this church building here is that you're set amongst a community, a community of people who actually, in some ways, are looking for life. And where is it they can find life? Well, unity is like life-giving dew in a dusty place. The unity of the church, actually, I wonder, well, I believe, it tells us here, can bring life in places where there currently is no life. A great thought as we, uh, as we look at these things. You see that Mount Zion, if Mount Zion got Jews like that, it would be miraculous. So extraordinary that people would see and would comment and would say just how good this is. And it crops up at the end of verse 3 as well, doesn't it? On Zion, the Lord commands blessing, life forevermore. The blessing of unity is life-giving. It comes from above. It is supernatural, only from God. Did you notice in our verses a repetition of the idea of coming down? Uh, we've had the idea of the, uh, the, the oil coming down from above and falling down, running down. And then we've got the, uh, the dew falling down you see it comes only from God as a blessing this unity uh, very often uh, we hear churches talk about unity they use fancy words like ecumenical and they seem to spend a lot of time trying to create unity uh, interfaith movements and uh, uh, and the like but actually what we learn here is that unity is not something we create Unity is something which comes down uh, from God. So then, what is it that we've learned of unity? It's right, it feels right, it's sacred, it's precious, it's fragrant, it's supernatural, life-bringing, it's a blessing from God. And that blessing is commanded by the Lord, verse 3. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows or commands his blessing. There? Well, where's there? It's Zion. It's Zion. Unity is found only in Zion. 
So, so remember that picture that we had of all those people coming from all different places and they gathered where at the end of their journey in Zion? That's where they got their true sense of unity. This psalm is almost the end of their journey. But as the songs, uh, but as the songs say, when, when they reach their destination, they receive the blessing of feeling and being united with others around them. But what of the Christian? Does that mean that unity is found on the church on a Sunday? Coming to church? Well, yes and no. Because Zion in the Old Testament was the place where God's temple was, where sacrifices were offered, where God met with his people. But that was only ever a picture for the people because the Old Testament picture was replaced, fulfilled, superseded, not with another place, but with a person, Jesus. Jesus was the man who said, destroy this temple in three days and I will rebuild it. He was the one who offered a once for all sacrifice for sin. He was the one who brought people to God and God to the people. Maybe you've also picked up that connection between life forevermore in verse three and Jesus bringing eternal life. It's a massive theme of John's gospel. You, you see, unity is found only in Zion. And Zion points us to Jesus. So unity is found only and received only in Jesus Christ himself. If that unity that the passage describes is attractive to you and you don't yet know how to enjoy it, then you need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Be brought into his family, which though not perfect, loves and cares for one another. So chat to me afterwards or chat to somebody else whom you know here. True unity is found only in Christ. So we're going to take three ways in which the New Testament helps us to understand what that looks like as we finish. Firstly, Jesus defines our unity. Uh, we can be very different in all other ways, but Christ himself is the one who unites us and only him. Uh, the former Liberal Democrat leader, Tim Farron, was speaking at the Keswick Convention uh, this summer. Uh, and he mentioned that he prays weekly with some other politicians, other members of parliament. He says one of them is a hard Brexiter, a Tory hard Brexiter. The other is a Scottish nationalist. And he's a Liberal Democrat. Politically, they couldn't be further apart. And the world would say that they can't get on, certainly not closely, but they are united in prayer with and for one another every week, even though the world would put them at odds. But we don't need to wheel in the celebrities. Uh, every Sunday we have a tangible example in various churches across the nation People gathering from various nations, some of which don't get on. Uh, people from different backgrounds, rich and poor, old and young, who would never eat, meet each other in any other setting, and yet fundamentally love and care for one another, united. So just being a part of a church isn't going to bring you this true experience of being united. Though coming to church is a very important part of experiencing it regularly. But this is where we need to ensure that we're working towards recognising, yes, differences, but unity within those differences. 
Our true unity isn't organizational or structural. It's defined by people who come to Christ. It's relational. And so we can have sweet unity with anyone else who would do the same, who would declare him as son of God and obey him as Lord. It's only him that defines our unity. I'll leave that paragraph out. I was going to talk about denominations. Uh, I think one of the unhelpful things about denominations sometimes is that they define and, and create boundaries around who we unite with. It's why things like the Yorkshire Gospel Partnership is great. But it's one of the things that actually encourages me again about this place. You're not Methodists, but you're meeting in a Methodist church. They're happy to have you. Uh, the church that I'm a part of, Christchurch Walkley, uh, well, they have a building which was sold to them by another local gospel-hearted church that wanted to invest money in their own church. They might have felt threatened by a new church in the area, but they made it possible with their generosity and with their prayers and with their Jesus-centered hearts for us to have a place to meet. Jesus defines our unity. Secondly, Jesus prays for our unity. You see, this blessing, this commandment of unity is also Jesus' prayer on our behalf. He prays it for us. In John 17, just before he's about to go to the cross, Jesus prays for his disciple. And what's his prayer? Well, the first thing that he prays for his disciples is this in John 17. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one. As we are one, Jesus prays for our unity. Jesus' prayer for us is that we'd be united, that we would be one just as God himself is one, so that we would reflect what he is like. Our unity in Christ shows the world what God is like. It brings him glory. It pleases him. No wonder Jesus prays for it. And then finally, Jesus empowers our unity. See what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another uh, in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is how one writer put it. If our unity is supernatural, then it's spiritual. It's not something we create. It's a work of the Spirit. It's God wrought. The Spirit creates it. It's the believer's responsibility to maintain it. That begins, firstly, with savouring its inherent goodness, acknowledging its worth and pleasantness, and then seeing that it's from God himself. Unity is good, it's precious, it's enjoyable, it's special, it's sacred, it's miraculous, but it's difficult. It's difficult. We disagree, and that makes unity difficult. We have people who, quite frankly, rub us up the wrong way. It's not really their fault, but it's just how they are. You could probably think of them. You know, they just do things that are just really annoying. You can definitely think of them now. They make unity difficult. They so do we in our attitudes as well. And again, if the church is, ought to be renowned for its unity, too often it's known for fighting amongst itself. Bickering over music or over what kind of coffee you serve, over whether you need new teacups, over all sorts of things. 
That's why Paul writes to the Ephesians to act with humility, gentleness and patience and bear with one another. Because that kind of attitude, those kind of attitudes will maintain the unity and the absence of those attitudes will actually undermine unity. Maybe that's where some of us are this afternoon. Yes, we're here at church, but we don't really feel united to others. We can only see others' faults and the way they frustrate us. Little things that annoy us. I don't know what they might be. You do. But the point is this. Are you disagreeing with people over stuff other than who Jesus is and, um, uh, and how to re- respond to him? Is it Jesus and responding to him rightly that unites us? And are we allowing other things to then threaten that unity? Dangerous place to be. Pray the Lord will help you to forgive if that's necessary and come back to Christ. Maybe you need to talk with someone today, ask forgiveness and pray together. Take the opportunity to treat others as the Lord Jesus has treated us. But how is it that we deal with these things? Well, it's to come back to Christ. Again, if I was to use that kind of spatial analogy, if we're disparate, how do we come closer together? If we're spread out, well, how is it the people who were spread out the whole of Israel came closer together? They didn't walk towards each other, actually. They walked towards Zion. They walked to Christ. Uh, And if we want to be truly united with one another, we all have to be walking towards the Lord Jesus and then we'll get closer. As we walk towards him and experience him changing us, moving us, empowering us. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This, friends, is when church is truly at its best. And the end result the end of this psalm of ascents is Psalm 134. I'm not going to preach on it. You'll be pleased to hear. I'm just going to read it and say two things afterwards. This is the end of the psalm of ascents. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is maker of heaven and earth. That's the end of their journey. And what do they do when they get there? They sing praises together. And one day we will be in the heavenly Zion, singing praises to the Lord in sweet, sweet harmonies. And we will be perfected. And those things that we've been talking about will no longer seem important because they will no longer be there. We will be sinless. What a great future. And we've got a privilege now of enjoying that in a small part. Here today, looking forward to the day when one day we will be with Jesus, singing before him face to face. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the one who has reconciled us to you in one body by the cross. We thank you uh, very much that uh, he gave us the spirit, the spirit of unity. 
Uh, we thank you that we are one body of the Lord Jesus. And so we pray that you would help us today to be those who are eager to maintain that unity within the body. Help us to appreciate one another, uh, to see the inherent worth of one another as people who have been saved by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. Help us to be one in heart, to be one in soul, to be one in purpose, to be one in love. And we pray that that would ultimately have an impact on this local community too. That if this is a, a dry and dusty area, that it, our unity here would be like the Jew of Hermon bringing life. Ultimately because it comes from you. And so please bless us and encourage us and keep us for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. Amen.